And that lets you save the f*** here. True form life. Green look on Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, thanks for tuning in to see what we have going on. Now, today I have to apologize. It has been quite some time where I just have sat down and chopped it up with you here and shared my thoughts and perspe- perspective. Excuse me. It, there's just a lot going on, I suppose, and it's not that I have a whole lot of excuses. It's just that a lot of times I feel like I hold on to projects for a long period of time and don't start new ones or don't, I'm not sure if it's the right term, but keep up with the times, for example. But um, it seems like Facebook and a lot of social media platforms are going to video. So we've been focusing quite a bit of video on video content and we're doing a lot of different little snippets. We have a full morning show and we sometimes we take out those snippets and put it on social media. So that's kind of where I've been putting my attention. Of course, the show, our show is still going strong, our once-a-week show. We're on seven different, different stations across Canada. And, of course, I understand that this podcast is going out all over the world as well. So I so much appreciate you guys tuning in and, and staying with me and being a part of our True Form Life community. I used to do, well, you know what? I used to do three shows a week. And then I realized that was way too much. And then I was doing a show every Thursday and Sunday slash Monday. So I was putting out two a week. One was my thoughts and the other one was interview. Just interviews for the radio shows, for the radio stations. So now I've kind of moved on to mainly just for the last few months at least. I've been doing just the interviews for the radio shows and putting them on as a podcast as well. So again, for those of you that have been with me for so long... Thank you so much for being here and and continue to see what I have going on. I have been doing these pre-type of interviews live, again, because Facebook, for example, is going all video, and the the posts just perform much, much better, and I've been enjoying doing them as well. So, for example, here, this one I'm doing with Michelle Fondin was recorded live on Facebook, and I thought, well, why not share it with you guys as well, because it's kind of like a pre... It's a pre-interview where we're kind of promoting the show. We want to raise awareness around the actual podcast or the actual radio show, the full 30 minutes. They, I planned on this being 10 to 15 minutes, but they usually end up longer. I think this one might even be 30 minutes, which is longer than our <laughs> radio interview. But regardless, I wanted to open you guys up to come and check it out. If you want more details or if you want to catch catch up with us live and ask questions, Ask these authors questions. We're going to pre- we promote the, excuse me we promote that stuff live on Facebook. So I put out some uh, posts and some information about when that is. I put that out in my newsletter, so in my weekly newsletter. So if you want more details or if you want to follow along and catch any of these interviews live, you can go to facebook.com/trueformlife, which is my Facebook platform, and that's where. I put up a lot of my content. So that's what I'm doing. And again, I just wanted to welcome you guys on. This is going to be the full live interview that we put up on Facebook. 
and I'll come in at the end again to, to thank you guys and to add any more announcements. But I hope you enjoy this live kind of format, and uh, we'll see how it goes from here on out. I would like to put more up. I, I really enjoy the two a week. I know that feedback has been positive when I put up two posts a week. But like I said, there's a lot of other things going on. We still are going to continue the once-a-week show without a question, and maybe once in a while, or hopefully more frequently, I can come in and throw up some of these pre-type of live interviews as well for you guys. So I hope you enjoy. All right, we should be live. (laughs) All right, welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today live on Facebook. Thanks, Drew. All right, so first of all, our apologies to our viewers that are coming in to check out our show. Had a, a bit of a technical issue, but it's a it's a learning process. So we're with you here and we're ready to go. So thanks for being here, Michelle. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad we worked it out. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about your new book, Help. I think my loved one's an alcoholic. Yeah. I actually have it right here. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so tell us about this book. Why did you decide to write about this topic? Oh, right. So I am in a relationship with an alcoholic who's now in recovery, but initially I had no idea what alcoholism was firsthand. Of course, you hear stories in Psych 101, you study it a little bit in grade school. They talk about drugs and alcohol, how you should stay away. But I really didn't have a firsthand experience with someone with alcoholism. And for me, starting this relationship, I saw him as a great person, really um, enthusiastic, kind, life of the party, so to speak, like really nice, a lot of friends. Um, and it wasn't until a few months down the road that I actually realized that he had a problem with alcoholism. And I was blindsided because I was about 40 at the time. And I thought, how did I go 40 years without really grasping and understanding what alcoholism is when it's such a common disease? One out of every 10 people have a drinking problem. And it's like, we don't talk about it in society. And so I thought, after doing a lot of research, I thought, you know, if I went 40 years not really knowing what it was and understanding the disease itself and the person behind the disease, then I bet there's a lot other people out there who equally don't understand or maybe have a loved one in their family who's an alcoholic, but they vilified that person or they've kind of separated that person from their lives or said they're a bad person. And I really wanted people to understand that it really truly is a disease. And how come you think that we don't realize this? Like this is actually a disease. This is something that we need to address and, you know, talk about. It's such a hidden yeah, subject. It, because I think there's a stigma surrounding the disease of alcoholism. I think most people in society still think that it's a moral failing. They think that, oh, the person just has no willpower. They can't control it. They're just out of control. They, they're not responsible. And it really, truly is not that. Yes, those are the byproducts of the disease, the, the disease itself, but it's a physical, emotional, mental, psychological, and spiritual disease. Like it, it hits all aspects of life. And really, that first um, bit is the chemical composure of the brain, like completely changes as a result of the alcoholism. You know, someone can cross the line from being a heavy drinker into being an alcoholic. And whereas if you're a heavy drinker, it's a choice. If you go out and have, three, four or five drinks at night, it may be a choice for you, but for an alcoholic, it's not a choice. Once they have that first drink or that first sip of alcohol in their body, their brain kind of takes over that survival part of the brain takes over and says, you cannot survive without alcohol. And so their impulse control is completely out the window. What is, what can they do about it? Or what can we do about it as a loved one to know? 
I guess, to really help out? Um, well, the first thing is just to be aware of the problem and understand that um, your loved one is not doing this on purpose. They're not doing this to you. Um, it really can seem like they're doing it to you because they usually blame the other person. They try to deflect the energy from them. Um, so the first thing is learn everything you can about the disease of alcoholism and um, understand that it's not your fault and it's not the other person's fault, that this is a disease. Um, secondly, get help for yourself. Go see a psychotherapist. Um, go to groups like Al-Anon family groups. Just surround yourself with other people who understand the problem. Um, thirdly, be compassionate towards your loved one who is an alcoholic and learn the difference between helping and enabling and, and learn how your behavior can negatively affect the relationship and in your own relationship with yourself and other people. Um, so it really is a learning process and, and just becoming aware of exactly what it is um, so that you don't hold, a, hold on to those um, angry feelings about the relationship itself. So we have uh, Don in. Don came in to see how we're doing. How you doing, Don? Good morning, Vanda. Thanks <laughs> Hi, for Don. checking us out. Live. Um, just a couple of things here. So those of our viewers that are tuning in will have live viewers coming in and out. And we're talking to Michelle Fondin about her new book. It's called Help, I Think My Loved One's an Alcoholic. It's a, it's a survival guide for lovers, family, and friends. This is a pre-interview for our nationally syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. So we're all, all across Canada right now. Today we're going to be airing on Radio Laurier on, uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then we're airing throughout the week as well. So CKLU 96.7 on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. And then CFRC 101.9 Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to have Michelle's interview going up all week. Um, again, across Canada, which is super cool. And it's a, this is such an important topic, Michelle. That's why I wanted to bring you on live. And I wanted to give our listeners a chance to, or viewers a chance to ask questions if they like, or yeah, just please do. Please ask questions. If you're out there listening, definitely. I'm, I'm really happy to answer any of your questions. And yeah. And to shine more light on the subject is so important to Vanda said, good morning. So, um, it's, uh, it's cool to have you guys live with us. So Michelle, tell us, why you, again, why you decided to write about alcoholism and, and why is it such an important topic today? Yeah, you know, and it's really to raise awareness and to erase the stigma. Because for me, I really, I thought it was really, really important to erase the stigma surrounding alcoholism. And as I mentioned to you before, when we were chit chatting about this, is that like, you know, if someone says, comes up to you and says, you know, I have cancer, you're not going to say like, shame on you. You're such a bad person. You know, what are you doing with your life? You know, you're not going to say that to them yet. Cancer is a disease. And so is the disease of alcoholism. And so, but we treat people with this disease of alcoholism as if they're rejects of society. If they're, as if they're someone who are, is a bad person. And what, we need to do is bring awareness to this and bring awareness to the fact that yes, this is a disease and early intervention is really important. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can talk to a person about, you know, getting help, um, seeing a psychotherapist or just going into an AA meeting. And a lot of times alcoholics are very resistant to this because they don't believe they have a problem, but it's con being consistent in the the behavior that you have toward them and saying, I know you're a loving person. I understand that you have this disease and um, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me in this situation. However, I love you and I support you. And when you're ready to go into an AA meeting or when you're ready to go into rehab, I'll be there for you. Um, 
So it's just recognizing the problem, but it's really bringing it out into the light and saying it's not shameful if a loved one has the disease of alcoholism. It's just, it's not a shameful thing. And that's really the reason why I wrote the book is to help people realize that. And why do you think it it is shameful or why do you think this is such a, uh, what would you call it? Something that society kind of frowns upon? Well, I believe it's just because how it's been portrayed in the past. And it's this misunderstanding that there's still a whole segment of people out there that that believe that it's not a disease. And so, but if you see in movies, for example, if you see in movies, the the person who's the alcoholic is always portrayed as the bad person or the abusive person or the person that's dysfunctional and breaking up the families. Um, it's never it's never portrayed. The disease is never portrayed as, okay, this person really needs help. It's never portrayed as that. It's always that we see that person in the light of being the bad person or the one that's wreaking havoc on a family. And so it's more about turning that around and, and bringing compassion to it, really, and bringing understanding. And what are some of the things that we can do? I know you mentioned that we can learn more about alcoholism mm -hmm. or be more compassionate. But if we feel like someone may have a drinking issue or some kind mm -hmm. of problem, what can we do? Yeah. You know, and the thing is, here's the thing is because denial runs rampant through, um, through the disease. And I think the first thing you need to do is admit it to yourself, admit to yourself that this is actually a problem for a loved one, family member, or a friend, admit it to yourself. The denial runs through the disease of alcoholism, but it also runs through the the people that love the alcoholic because they don't want to believe that their loved one really has a drinking problem that is an alcoholic. And, you know, there are markers. There are ways in which you can know if your loved one has crossed that line from heavy drinking into alcoholism. And, you know, some of those markers are like, does the person drink alone? Do they hide bottles of alcohol throughout the house or in their car? Um, do they refuse to go to parties where no alcohol is served? Um, do they get into arguments with you if you bring up the alcoholism? If you bring up like, hey, I noticed you just drank too much. And if they get angry with you, then chances are they do have a problem because they know it themselves and they feel this guilt and shame. Um, or if you pour out a drink, if you, you're cleaning up after dinner and there are a couple glasses of wine on the table and you just chuck them in the sink, they get angry about things like that. So there are markers. So it's just lifting that denial, really. I think that's the first step is just admitting to yourself, well, hey, you know, my loved one has this problem. It is a disease. Um, and then being truthful about it to other people. That's really important, too, being truthful and saying, you know, my mom has the drinking problem. She has not yet faced it. And um, I'm getting help for myself to make my relationships healthier or something like that. Because I think we have a tendency to lie about it because there is so much shame surrounding it. But the more we tell our, the truth to ourselves and to others, the, the easier it will be to lift this stigma. All right, Joe. So some of our viewers that are coming in and, and jumping in and, and leaving, we have some new viewers coming in. We have Michelle Fondin, who's the author of Help, I Think My Loved One's an Alcoholic. I've got her book right here. It's fantastic. We're going to do a giveaway later in the week, so you can uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, this is a pre-interview for Exploring Mind and Body. We're nationally syndicated. We have a couple more. This show is going to be aired later on this week on uh, throughout the week across Canada. So we have, we're going to be on the East coast of Canada in Sussex, actually on 590 CJCW on Sunday morning at 7:30 AM. And then we're going to be here locally where we're doing this interview in Olds on 96.5 CKFM on Sunday at 8 PM. So 
again, this is just a pre-interview. I wanted to bring Michelle on, see if you guys had any questions, and for me to answer some follow-up questions as well. So thank you so much for joining us here, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much. So is there anything else that we can, that we can, I guess, you know, there, there's so many different areas that we could go yeah. or that we could talk about. Is there one specific topic that you like to cover on a regular basis? Maybe that's questions that often come in for you to shine light on the subject? Um, yeah, I mean, it's mostly about what can I do? Well, this is the one that comes up most frequently. It's like, what can I do to get my loved one to stop drinking? <laughs> um, and really, there's nothing you can do to actively change somebody else's behavior. The person that needs to change needs to change of themselves. It needs to come from an inner drive to want to change. And that can be the most frustrating and the hardest part about the disease of alcoholism or any addiction. It's really hard when you're trying to, when you see this destructive behavior and you're disheartened and you're, and you're sad and you're upset and you want the relationship to be better. Um, but there's nothing you can actively do to change somebody else. So the best thing you can do is to change yourself, meaning you can change your reactions to the situation. So if your loved one comes home drunk again, then you can ignore the behavior, basically giving the behavior back to them. So you're not taking responsibility for their behavior. So that's one. Um, another thing you can do is to um, create a group of friends that you have a social support network, that this is a group of friends that maybe understand, maybe they don't understand, but giving yourself something else to do besides focusing on the person who is the alcoholic. Um, working the 12 steps. So, you know, Al-Anon Family Groups um, goes through the same 12 steps as Alcoholic Anon Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it's really going through the 12 steps to realize, like, I'm powerless over alcohol. Like, my life has become unmanageable because now I'm focused completely on this person in my life who's an alcoholic. And it's just taking that focus away from that person and really taking care of yourself. And oftentimes what families and friends see is that once you start taking care of yourself as an enabler or as someone who is completely focused on the alcoholic, once you start to take care of yourself, the alcoholic is left with his own consequences or her own consequences for their for their drinking. And then once they're faced with their consequences, they start to fall deeper into the hole of the disease. And when they do, they hit a point at which they realize like, oh my God, what am what am I doing? How can I change this self-destructive pattern? Um and so it's it's really that's the question I get most often is how can I get them to stop drinking? The answer is by helping yourself. Well, the thing is when you men when you mention your own reaction, I think we can look at that at any time in life. That if we look at our own reactions and how we see things and how we perceive the situation, then we can make a change. But without addressing ourselves first, then we're left helpless. Yeah, absolutely, and that's really what it is. And you know, and this it doesn't have to be in an addictive type relationship. Um, this can happen in anything in life when, you know, a lot of times people will come into relationships and they'll want to change other people. Well, the truth of the matter is you can't change other people. You can either change your perspective or you can change yourself. You can change your expectations or you can change yourself. So um, really, that's that's the total key to this. And you should never feel guilty for for wanting to help another person. And that's that's one thing that a lot of people in relationships with alcoholics think is that 
like, oh my God, like I gave him money or I, I gave her a place to stay or I drove her to the liquor store. Never feel guilty about what you did to help your alcoholic loved one in the past because now you have a new awareness. You have a new awareness that I, I can't do that anymore for this person because they have to reap, uh, it's sort of like what goes around comes around. It's, and it's not in a bad way. It's that every action causes a reaction and every action has consequences and they need to feel the consequences of those actions in order to in turn get help for themselves. So, and that's something that's important to understand because we probably feel incredibly guilty for being around the situation, maybe enabling or maybe just doing the best we can. I think in most cases in life, we do the best we can. And unfortunately, we feel terribly guilty about that if the situation doesn't get better. Yeah. So it's like, you know, let's say your best friend, you know, even in college, let's say your best friend, you know, you keep going to parties with your best friend and, you know, she's falling over drunk and then you're carrying her home and you're changing her clothes and cleaning up her vomit. Um, the thing is, if that happens once, okay, one person went off the deep end one time. But if you see that as a continual pattern, then it's best to confront that person when they're sober. And when you do confront them, always confront them when they're sober. Never, ever get into an argument with someone who's been drinking because they're not in their right mind. Um, a lot of times they won't even remember the conversation. But when they are sober, just, you know, confront them and say, you know, I've seen that this has become a problem for you. I'm not going to help you anymore in this situation because I love you. And that's the thing. It's That's the thing that's hard to understand. It's because you love the person in your life who suffers from addiction. It's because you love them that you're going to stop helping them. Because you understand that by helping them, you're enabling them to keep on drinking. Because they need that support to keep drinking, to keep the addiction going. It's this... um it's this wheel of addiction that like they have this whole support network around them that they need a bunch of people to help them to keep drinking. And when the bottom falls out, meaning like when everybody stops helping them, they're left by themselves. And when they're left by themselves, they realize like, okay, so if I'm drunk and I can't drive, I can't go to the liquor store and get my liquor anymore. You know, again, they can't do it or they can't get food for themselves. And so that they, they come to, at some point to the realization that that nobody's going to help me. I'm all alone and I need to do something about this. So we had Dawn that said she just left a comment. She said this is really good. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Dawn. <laughs> That's so sweet. Do you have any questions? Please ask away. <laughs> so Michelle, you actually studied did you study recovering alcoholics for I your did. book? It was so fascinating. I really, I reached out to um, several groups. They were meetup groups on sober living and people were very, very gracious. And they responded with such love and such giving and telling their stories that it was totally, totally amazing. And I was, I was so moved emotionally by all of these people in recovery that were not only willing to tell their stories, but that were so candid and upfront and shameless and just in just pouring their hearts out to me. And it was totally amazing and a very humbling experience because honestly, we cry about our struggles in life. You know, we say like, oh, I'm not making enough money or, oh, I stubbed my toe. You know, we cry about our own experiences, but until you've been through something as devastating as addiction and you've really hit the bottom of everything. Like 
most people lose absolutely everything. I mean, their integrity is the first to go. Their self-esteem is the first to go. But like a lot of the people I interviewed were homeless. I mean, literally living in homelessness and eating out of trash cans and, and just sleeping on park benches. And these were people that were college educated. Like, it's not like these people started out this way. It's that through the addiction, they just lost everything. And to come back from that, that is mind blowing to me. It's just, and to have a good attitude about it too. And that's the thing is that people in recovery are just amazing. In long-term recovery, they've gone through so much to come out to the other end and be so positive and uplifting. Like, it's just, it was such an amazing experience to hear their stories. It must be inspiration in, woo. <laughs> it must be <laughs> inspirational to you to be able to be around these types of people that have lost everything. They've kind of hit rock bottom and they're able to pull themselves up, pull themselves together and, and tell a story of success and, and failure Absolutely. as well. Yeah. And you know, and the one thing that uh, I'm thoroughly convinced of, and you know, I have a close relationship with God and, and my spiritual beliefs are, you know, I live by spirituality, you know, and what I do in life and my work, I have to, <laughs> but, um, but you know, the one thing that every single solitary person in long-term recovery found was they found a relationship with their higher power. Now, whether you call that higher power, God, spirit, um, mother nature, the universe, whatever you call it, they all found a relationship with a higher power. And that's what pulled them out of being in rock bottom. Like that's what pulled them out of their addiction. And, you know, it's funny because I met people that were atheists previously to being in recovery. And even the atheist said, it was not until I embraced my higher power that I was able to overcome this addiction. And in the, in the beginning, for some people, the higher power were, was the people who were in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they said, collectively, that was our higher power. Um, just the power that the group brought to them. But eventually everyone found that higher spiritual connection. And it, and it was truly amazing to see the transformation that happened through the process of recovery. And so it doesn't have to be, it wasn't like one particular type of religion. It wasn't even, maybe it wasn't even a deity, for example. For example, it yeah. could be just that group of, of individuals helping to support. Exactly. And so, you know, and it's funny because I've sat in um, AA rooms probably for um, maybe 200 hours or something. So I, I really attended a lot of AA meetings. And, um, you know, one of the things that they do joke about is that in the big blue book, they talk about, um, you know, it doesn't matter what your higher power is. It could be the doorknob or something, you know, so they kind of joke about it being an inanimate object. But, you know, most people would agree that that's totally ridiculous. Like even the people in AA would say, you know, that's totally ridiculous. Um, but um, one of the... Um, Dan, who is in the book, and he's it's by his first name, as they do in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Dan explained to me, he said, you know, in the beginning, I didn't believe in anything. And for me, the power of the group was my higher power until I found God, until I found my what I conceived to be God. And he, he kind of explained it like that, that that was my understanding of God as it developed over time. But in the beginning, my higher power was the group. And he's like, that's what kept me alive. 
Yeah, well, I mean, anytime we talk about a group or when we talk about living a healthy lifestyle, for example, or regardless of what it is, you know, financially, let's say, for example, if you have a supportive group, someone that you can go to and talk to on a regular basis, someone that you can uh, ask questions or just feel that support, it makes all the difference in the world. And and here, clearly, as you're saying here, Michelle, that we, we really need to find that group. What about you're speaking specifically about those that are alcoholics, those that have drinking uh, problems or issues. What about the families? What about those that are dealing with this on a regular basis? Where can they go? Are there groups or, or organizations? Yeah, absolutely. That- yeah. So um, Al-Anon Family Groups is a great place to go. Um, it's a great place to start. Um, there are, you know, there are meet meetup groups out there as well um, that you could go to just look up sober living or, you know, and it's it's good to even understand both sides. So obviously step into step into an AA meeting and you can go to an open AA meeting and um, sit and listen. If they ask you to participate, you can just say pass. I'm observing. Um, and Al-Anon family groups or Al-Anon means go to alanon.org. There are many groups around that you can go to. And also, if you want to find a psychotherapist that can help you make sure they're an addiction specialist. Not every psychotherapist understands addiction. Um, some are trained, some are not trained, but um, you know, it's, that can be a really good source of help too, is, is finding a psychotherapist who, who is specialized in addiction and recovery. All right. So those of you that are coming in and out, we're Facebook Live right now. We're going to be broadcasting this later. With We're with Michelle Fondon, who is the author of Help, I Think My Loved One is an Alcoholic. I love your title, Michelle. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the subtitle is a, a Survival Guide for Lovers, Family, and Friends. And this is a pre-interview for nationally syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. And this show, after we release it throughout the week and throughout Canada right now, we're going to be post- posting it on iTunes as well So and across other podcasting platforms. So you can go over there and download it as, as well if you like, if you want to listen to Michelle's full interview. Michelle, just before we wrap it up here, is there anything else you'd like to add about alcoholism for the families maybe or even those that may think they, they may think or know they have alcohol issues right now? Yeah. So I would say, you know, there there are two outcomes to alcoholism, recovery or death. Like alcoholism is a chronic progressive and fatal disease. And, and most people fail to realize that. And it's not something to be toyed around with. It's a very serious disease. Um, many people die of this disease every single day. And I know that sounds grim, but it's actually the truth. And, you know, if you have a drinking problem or you think you might have a drinking problem, know that there is hope for a better life. There is hope for recovery. And recovery does happen. Millions of people recover every single year. Um, AA is a great place. Even if you hate it in the beginning, you'll learn to love it. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's just being patient with your loved ones and, and being loving and kind. You know, they hate themselves. And I learned this from alcoholics is that people who have the disease of alcoholism hate themselves more than you can ever hate them. And what they don't need is more hate. They need love and compassion and, and really look at them as, you know, they're, they're a child of God. Like they're, they're, they're look at them for their soul, for their spirit, which is perfect. And so each time you interact with them, each time you are um, 
seeing them in front of them. Like think of them as someone who is lovable. And even if they're like spouting off angry words to you, all you need to do is be quiet, smile, walk away from it. But, um, but know that it's through your love, understanding, compassion that they can heal. Well, you know what the thing is, like, this is, it's a problem. It's a real problem. It's not like yeah. they do this on purpose or exactly. they like, or they feel like, you know, this is something that can be controlled. Once there's alcohol in the room, once there's alcohol consumed, like that's probably a different person. Now I understand that we choose to drink the alcohol, but I mean, right. it's a real problem that they deal with on a regular basis and struggle with all the time. Yes. And like when you say that, you know, they hate themselves, like clearly, like there's always that guilt, you know, there's the, the booze blues, there's the things that you go through when you, you know, you, I was involved with it, you know, drinking in college and you do things that, and I think many are in the same boat. I mean, you, you do things that you wish you hadn't done and you, there's regret and guilt yeah. and those that deal with this as a lifelong journey. I mean, I have so much compassion for them because it's like smoking, like take smoking, for example, like those that start smoking at a young age, they struggle with their whole lives to get rid of that habit. And I really feel that alcoholism is the same thing. Once you start struggling with it, you struggle with it for years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so that's what you have to keep repeating to yourself over and over again, is that this person is not doing this on purpose. Your loved one is not doing this because of you. It's He's not doing it for you. It's like, this is his own or her own internal struggle and internal journey. And that the more you can understand that you could, the more you can understand this is not about you at all. In no way is this about you. And I, even I said in my book, like you can't be pretty enough. You can't be handsome enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't make enough money to make your alcoholic stop drinking. There's nothing you can do. Um, you can be a better person in who you are through your own self-development, but there's nothing you can do to make them feel better about themselves. You can certainly make them feel worse about themselves. Um, but my take on it is just to, um, be loving, you know, be loving. They, they have enough on their plate as it is. And they're, they don't understand what's going on to them is a, a interventionist. Um, he was a, an addiction specialist who, who did interventions, family interventions. And he explained to me, he said, this is a disease that tells you, you do not have a disease. It's literally a disease that tells you, you don't have a disease. And so when you're in it, it the disease itself tells you, this is not a disease. This is somebody else's problem. This is because your dad left you. This is because your mom was an alcoholic. This is because, 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 because. So they never truly believe that it's a disease that they have. Yeah, and I think it's fantastic that you're that you're um, bringing more light, shining some more light on this subject, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Those you, of you, sir. yeah, it's been a pleasure. Those of you that have been tuning in, um, we appreciate you coming and check checking us out. We have a number of people that came in throughout the interview. We had uh, Vanda, Don, and Aaron uh, have all been in. I, I'm not able to see everyone, unfortunately. I think it has something to do with settings, but uh, regardless, thank you guys for for coming in to see what we have going on and. And Michelle, again, thank you so much for coming on. Michelle's book is called Help. I think my loved one is an alcoholic. It's a survival guide for lovers, family, and friends. Michelle, where can we find more information about your book? You can definitely find my book on Amazon. Just look it up. And uh, yeah, I have it on um, Kindle as well and on audiobooks.
All right. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we're going to let you guys go. Thanks again, Michelle. And thanks to all our viewers out there. And we wish you guys a wonderful, fantastic day. Thank you. All right. So that's what we got for you. I hope you enjoyed. I hope the audio was okay. That was live. It was raw. It was uncut. I wanted to leave it like that on purpose because that's exactly how it goes on our social media platforms. Again, that was aired on or first went live on facebook.com slash trueformlife. So we are going to have more of those coming up if you'd like to check us out there. Again, I have a weekly newsletter. You can subscribe on trueformlife.com. That's my main website, which you can stay up to date as to what we have going on and these live interviews and more stuff. We put out recipes each week and fitness routines or workouts and all kinds of deep thinking thoughts as well. So that's something that we like to offer our audience as well in our true form life community. I'm going to leave you with that. Again, hopefully we can get more of these up there for you guys. I hope you enjoyed this type of format. All our past shows for our regular Exploring Mind and Body once a week show is going up on exploringmindandbody.com. We do have a free app <laughs> free app that you can download on any Apple device. And if you want more details as to what we have going on through meal planning, recipes, grocery shopping lists, fitness routines, and support, that's all up on trueformlife.com. So you can visit us there. Please feel free to ask any questions or if there's anything we can do to help you out. We're certainly here for your support. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.